Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Absolutely awesome. We all need community and we all need places where we're not projects, but we are among family. And so that's why I wanna encourage you to uh, consider uh, joining a life group, consider this to be my invitation to you. Inside of your bulletin, you received a card. I want you to pull that card out if you would not mind. Our whole goal is to create these uh, smaller communities within our larger family, spiritual family, where we can grow up in and out, grow in our love for God, deepen our relationships with one another, and serve Christ together, living on mission and spiritual family. You'll see a QR code on that card. All you have to do is take out your phone, click on your uh, uh, picture or photo app, put it over the QR code, a little tab will pop up at the top of your phone, click on that, and it'll take you to our group finder. Now there you're gonna find all of our groups, we got over 100 groups, but 37 are open right now to receive you, and uh, groups of every uh, size, uh, station of life, married, single, young, old, in between, uh, you can find a group there, and there'll be green buttons for you to click on up under each group if you want to find out more, and, uh, and uh, yeah, put your name in, and, and we'll uh, follow up with you. Now, what do you do if you are one of those rare people that does not find a group that seems to fit you? If you scroll through and you don't find a group that seems to fit you, you know what that means? That means you're meant to start a group, that's right. And so that's why this card is perforated at the bottom. If you are interested in saying, hey, we'd love to start a group in our neck of the woods or um, based off of where we sense God, is uh, calling us to connect with people. Just fill out your name, check that bottom box that says I'm interested in hosting or leading a life group, and I promise you, we'll get you ready. You will not take that journey alone, amen? But we are so grateful for the community we have that reinforces to us again and again that Christ is enough, and because he's in us, we are enough. How many praise God for that truth, amen? Well, today, I'm really excited to be able to go back into our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. Why don't you join me in chapter two there? And uh, today we're gonna continue on this theme of looking for the meaning of life. Where can we find meaning and ultimately where do we find satisfaction? You know, if you've been uh, journeying with us through this study, you'll know that it's, this book is written by King Solomon who was the son of King David, the great king of Israel. So he he received a great inheritance as the king of Israel, but he even grew the kingdom beyond what his father had grown into this massive empire that was very pop, uh, prosperous and uh, the envy of even nations abroad. The story is told of the Queen of Sheba coming to see Israel because of uh, its, its greatness and all of its prosperity and wealth. Well, what Solomon uh, calls himself in his book again and again is the the teacher, some commentaries will use the term professor, the professor, and he's, it's like he's putting on a class. And what is the course theme or title? It is, where do you find meaning in life? One of the big questions that all of us are processing and struggling with, where do I find meaning? Where do I find satisfaction? Now, what Solomon has already taught us, if you've been following along, is that the pursuit of pleasure never pleases. 
that ultimately if you are addicted to pleasure, you will find yourself exhausted. Exhausted not because of boredom, but amusing yourself to death. There was a popular book in 1985 written by Neil uh, Poston with that, with that uh, title called Amusing Ourselves to Death. There's no greater exhaustion than the exhaustion with pleasure when the thrill is gone and there's no, nothing else that seems to entertain or excite you anymore. That's what he went through. So he says, I didn't find that pleasure was pleasing. Then he tells us that if you are addicted to wisdom, you will find that the the pursuit of wisdom as an end unto itself only leads to weariness. That the more knowledge you accumulate, the more you figure out how messed up the world is. The more you know about the fallen world, the more you realize that, man, there's brokenness all around me. So the pursuit of intellectualism or more and more wisdom as it means, as an end rather unto it, that ultimately doesn't satisfy. And so today we're going to see how the professor uh, takes us on a journey through materialism, takes us on a journey of what about the, the accumulation of things? Does the accumulation of things ultimately satisfy us? And all the work that comes along with the accumulation of things, does that ultimately satisfy us? And I don't want to give away the punchline, but I think you know the answer to it. The, the answer he's going to come to is that ultimately materialism does not satisfy. The accumulation of more things, more possessions does not satisfy. Now, I've told you throughout the study that I wish I could preach this on every college campus because I think that materialism reveals a lie that we have all bought into and this generation in particular has been sold this lie. Here's the lie, that you are just one big thing away from happiness that the next great thing is gonna ultimately be the thing that brings you joy. That if you just find that right person to marry, that right partner in life, you'll have joy. That if you just get that next great position at work, or if you get that degree, that you'll ultimately feel a deeply satisfied life in your soul. And what Solomon wants to warn us against today is the reality that no accomplishment in this world will ever satisfy. It's interesting, my wife and I have these good friends, uh, Josh and Rebecca Good. Josh and Rebecca Good uh, met while they were both at Harvard in campus ministry. And I remember meeting Rebecca and asking Rebecca, we were classmates in the program together, and I said, what was it like witnessing on Harvard's campus, this place of great academic achievement. And she said to me, Chris, you know what question opened up the most conversations about Jesus and spiritual things is when you ask these high achievers, are you satisfied? Not are you experiencing temporary happiness, not are you experiencing achievement or accomplishment, but are you satisfied? And what she helped me to see is that uh, the accumulation of more and more achievements or things does not ultimately bring satisfaction. I'm going to say it again. Nothing in this world will satisfy you. You ask the greatest Wall Street executive, will more money satisfy you? And they will tell you they have gotten the money and still feel empty. I, I listened recently to an interview by the greatest quarterback the NFL has ever produced. Now, this is going to be a statement I won't make often, so listen clearly. 
that the greatest quarterback the NFL has ever produced came from the University of Michigan. Now for me to say that shows spiritual growth, shows a lot of Christian maturity. I won't be repeating it, so clap now. But the reality is, is that Tom Brady, even after winning seven Super Bowls in a recent interview said, I still feel like I haven't accomplished anything. Now, some of you may say, well, that's competitive edge. For me, as I listen to that, my heart breaks because I think like, man, winning one Super Bowl, I would feel like the king of the world. Two or three? I mean, I feel like you could retire and, and feel totally satisfied in life. Seven, seven rings, seven Super Bowls as the quarterback and still missing something. This is the reality of successful person after successful person, and this is what Solomon ultimately concludes with that preface. Let's go to verse 18. We're going to see throughout this passage that God is generous, and because God is generous, because Christ is enough, I don't have to try to buy into the lie that the next big thing will be what will satisfy me. I can be content with what he has already provided so Solomon says this after pursuing accumulation as the goal, materialism, verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity or hevel or smoke and mirrors where we get the title for this series. Verse 20, so I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must have everything, must leave rather, everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. Solomon gives us a picture of what life is like when your life is committed to the accumulation of things or materialism, and he says that the fruit of materialism is workaholism. And workaholism is something that is tempting to all of us, and all it is is work without limits. And again, for the young adults in the room, let me just tell you one of the best things you can put in your life are boundaries, limits. Limits that leave margin, margin for rest, margin for family, margin certainly for God. He had absolutely no margin. It led to exhaustion or vexation. Look at what he says in verse number 23, for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. He wasn't even sleeping at night. Why? Because he was trying to work hard to accumulate because he was convinced that somehow if I accumulate enough, I can secure my legacy. If I accumulate enough, I can satisfy the deepest needs of my heart. And how much did he accomplish? Well, let's be reminded, verse 4 of this chapter, go back. 
He says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I brought male and female servants or slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than anyone who had been before me in Jerusalem. I was the man. I accomplished everything. I accumulated all that you would want to accumulate it. I got the degree. I, I amassed the possessions. I had the wealth. I accumulated everything, and I still was not satisfied. Friends, as you study materialism deep enough, what you realize is that what materialism reveals is that we have bought a lie. All of us, we have bought into a lie. And what is the lie? The lie is that the next thing will be what satisfies me. That if I get enough, if I accomplish enough, if I get the degree or experience the next great accomplishment in my career, or if I buy the toys, then that's where enduring happiness will come. If you were to analyze our economy and just look at advertisement as one sector of that economy, 2019 Forbes magazine tells us that $256 billion was spent just on advertising. What is advertising? At the end of the day, what most of marketing and advertising is, no offense to those that are in this field, but it is the act of trying to convince us that what we just saying is not true, that Christ isn't enough, that you need something else, that you need more, that you need more in order to feel better about who you are. I'm convinced after studying this out that most workaholics are not just greedy materialists, that most of the workaholics uh, in our lives are looking to be loved, to be affirmed, thinking that if I get enough, accomplish enough, that people will validate me. But if Christ is enough, then Christ is in us means we are enough. When we say that we don't have enough, as Christians, what we are saying is that Christ is not enough. My friends, if we believe that, it will lead us to exhaustion, the breakdown of our bodies, mental breakdowns, anxiety, depression. It will lead to all of these sleepless nights and endless days because nothing in this world will satisfy you. Not Super Bowls, not a larger bank account. Nothing will be able to satisfy you when you get it. And you will work hard for it, whatever it is, and you will get it, and you will sit and say, is this it? Is this it? Most affairs in marriages come because there was a thought that this would satisfy, and it didn't. Most of the greed and the compromise that we find in business comes because the thought that if I get a little bit more, will be enough, but it isn't. Maybe you've heard the story of the rich man who was asked, how much is enough? And the answer was just a little bit more. 
What advice am I giving you? What advice is the preacher giving you? Certainly it is not to stop working. Yeah, work in Christ under his lordship has value, but it is to set boundaries, not work without limits, not accumulation without limits, but to have a word that often we don't talk about, and that is contentment. Why was Solomon dissatisfied? Because there were two realities that haunted him that he could not avoid. The first was death. He couldn't avoid it. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to accumulate all of this stuff. And then I'm going to die. And we've all seen it. We've all seen it with broken hearts. Individuals who worked hard and accumulated a lot with the thought that retirement is just around the corner and when we get there, honey, we'll travel the world. Retirement is just around the corner and when I get there, then I'll rest. Retirement is just around the corner and when I get there, then I'll serve God. When I get to this particular level of comfort, then I'll commit my ways to the Lord. Jesus warns us against this. This is why he gives us Luke chapter 12. Keep your finger there and turn with me real quickly to Luke chapter 12. And it's in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells us the story of a man who had accumulated a pretty significant amount of wealth. Luke chapter uh, 12, we see in verse number 16, Jesus says, And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced uh, plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry." Sounds like a great plan, doesn't it? Work hard, build bigger barns, get as much stuff as you can, and then you'll be able to truly be happy and rest. But it's an illusion. If you don't have contentment now, it will not come then. And what does he say concerning this man? But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Please understand the line of demarcation here. This is not talking about the individual who served God, who uh, offered their lives, their time, talent, treasure to the Lord. Nothing wrong with accumulating things if they are submitted to the Lord. But this is referring to the person who lived as if God was not real, lived as a fool. The Bible says the fool says in his heart there is no God. And so if, because we've been wired for worship, if, if we don't worship the living true God, we're going to worship something. And so what is that fool worship? He worships his possessions, thinking that somehow accumulating wealth will protect him from death. But the reality is death doesn't care how many zeros you have in your bank account. He could not avoid it. Death doesn't care if you have a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, or a doctorate degree. The reality is he could not avoid it. All of it led to despair. This is what Solomon was 
confronted with, and he was vexed because of it. He says, I gave myself over to despair. I could not have joy. The second thing that vexed him as he thought deeply about it was that he was going to accumulate all of this stuff, and then the probability was he was going to have to leave it to one of his heirs who he considered most probably would be too foolish to manage it, let alone grow it. How many can relate to this reality? Do not raise your hands, because if that is your kid, I want you to look straight ahead. Don't even say amen, because they don't need to know that's what you think of them. But the reality is, some of us, we look at our kids and we say, oh my God, is this my heir? Is this the one that's supposed to uh, grow what I have worked hard to build? Solomon was nervous, and if you know the rest of the story, if you know the rest of his life, he had reason to be nervous. Solomon inherited a great kingdom from his dead. He grew it, he expanded it, he turned it over to his son, who was a godless leader, and in one generation, the kingdom was divided. With each successive generation, it got weaker and weaker and weaker. It became a self-fulfilling prophecy. He was a man who had good reason to be nervous. Fact of the matter is, he thought that he could preserve his legacy through the accumulation of goods, but you cannot preserve your legacy through the accumulation of goods. I don't care how many buildings have your name on it, the further the generations go, the more you're forgotten. I think about it, for example, for this church. This is a great church, wonderful ministry that we're all able to be a part of. But how many of us know anything about that initial group of people who years ago said, let's come together and let's believe God to reach this area for Jesus? Some may be historians among us of the church that know it, but most of us don't know that group. As generations go by, you cannot preserve your legacy. Nothing in this world will satisfy. And you know why I keep saying that truth? I keep telling you that nothing in this world will satisfy in hopes that it will produce a longing within you for something beyond this world, something that this world cannot give. The reality was is that Solomon's search led him to despair. Our search doesn't have to lead us to despair. It has to lead us to spiritual hunger. Here's the reality. If you keep getting stuff that that does not satisfy you, it's because you're trying to satisfy spiritual hunger with physical things. And material things will never satisfy spiritual hunger, but sadly, most of us don't know how to identify spiritual hunger in our lives, and so we think that if I just get the next great thing, it will satisfy, and it won't. So here's what Solomon concluded, this great final section. After asking the question, why don't I feel like I have enough, he goes on to celebrate the fact that God shares his spoils with us You serve a generous God. Look at what he says, verse 24. There is nothing better, we're just saying that, for a a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? 
For to the one who uh, pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after win. I love that Solomon gives us this conclusion. Up until this point, throughout the sections of Scripture we have been studying, Solomon has alluded to the reality of God. Now he is crystal clear, and he is wanting us to know that every good and perfect thing in life comes from God. That should sound familiar to you because that's what James says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from, from above, from the Father of heavenly lights. Everything we have that is of value comes to us from a generous God, and he is enough. What Solomon wants us to understand is that the remedy for materialism, the remedy for workaholism, the remedy for despair is not the accumulation of things. It's a word that you very rarely hear. It's contentment. It is contentment. It is being able to say, God, you've been good to me. You know what contentment is? Contentment is appreciating and thanking God for what he has provided. That means that most of our prayers shouldn't be petitioning God for another thing. Nothing wrong with that in measure, but most of your prayers should be thanking God for what he has already provided. How many can agree with me that he has already been good, that he has given us life and that more abundantly, salvation and grace and mercy and goodness? We all, we all want to be a part of a great move of God. I know I do. But this morning I was reminded of something. And I pray in my passion as your pastor, in my passion to see a mighty move of God, that I don't just show you in my heart a hurriedness or a dissatisfaction or a discontentment, always striving for the next thing. But I pray that you would see in me and in the leaders of our church this deep contentment and gratefulness over what God has done and provided for us in our fellowship. Think about this for a moment. The beauty even of today, that we get a chance to open God's word together, gaze upon the beauty of his word, that we get a chance to sing to our great God and King of his greatness together. That's a beautiful thing. That is enough. Christ is enough. This is what he concludes. There's nothing better than to be able to eat and drink and enjoy, enjoy what he has provided. But the second thing that he gives us is not just contentment, but it is generosity. Look at verse 26. He says, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy that everything is gift. It is a gift from God. And because he's given to us, we can give to the world. We don't have to hold possessions with tight fists, but with open hands, because we know we have a generous God who has not withheld his son. And if he would give us his son, how will he not with him give us all things that pertains to life and godliness? He knows what we need. 
This is why Paul, writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 8, says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. It is of great value. Ultimately, our hope and our joy is found in him. What does this look like? I remember when I first came to Christ, and I'll end with the story, um, there was a lot of things that came natural, studying his word, worship, these types of things. One of the things that was hard for me is fasting. Uh, fasting was, was difficult, the whole thought of abstaining from food in order to draw closer to God. How many have tried fasting and found it to be difficult? About eight of you. The rest of you didn't even try. I said, I, I'm not even attempting. It is too hard. And I remember telling my, my grandmother this, how hard fasting seemed to be. And she said, sweetie, fasting isn't hard. All fasting is is being more hungry for God than you are for food. When you are more hungry for God than you are for food, then you'll be satisfied in him. You won't be looking for the next meal. And this is what Solomon is calling us to, is to be more hungry for God. And if we are hungry for God, then knowing him and making him known is the great desire of our lives. I wanna close by drawing our remembrance and our attention to two great humanitarian crises that we have seen unfold before our eyes and how our church is responding to it. How many have heard the news that in Haiti uh, this past week there was a 7.2 magnitude earthquake? How many have heard that news? We have missionaries that are there and missions partners that we have been partnered with for years now. And when we heard that news, we immediately began to pray. Our team began to ask, what will we do and how will we respond? I want to answer that. I want to invite you into an opportunity for us to join God in his generosity and caring for brothers and sisters around the world. But we've also seen the unfolding of this political drama in Afghanistan and how an entire country has broken down in every sense of the word. How many have been watching that with heartache as you've seen what's happened there? The displacement of people. And we've asked ourselves, how can we respond? So today we wanna do something we haven't done in a long time. We wanna take what's known as a four corners offering. I'll explain that in just a moment. But it's simply a special emergency aid offering that we will raise in order to send and to support those who are responding in this moment, our global partners. My prayer, and I hope you've been praying too, is that the church will respond in such a way that even heads of states and the global community, the international community will take notice and say, man, what an amazing thing when the church responds, when Christ is at work in his people. How many know there is no greater love than the steadfast love of the Father expressed to his people? How many praise God for that truth? So in, in Haiti, we have a network of partners that we're gonna support, Mission of Hope. We've been sending teams there since 2016, as well as Convoy of Hope. They're doing medical outreach effectively, as well as uh, delivering food and other vital resources. So today, as you leave, there'll be baskets for you to give an offering. Leviticus 19 and nine, God says to Israel, don't glean your fields or uh, collect your crops all the way to the edges, but leave the corners for those who are in need to be able to receive from. We shouldn't use all of our resources on us, but we should leave some so that we can help others that are in need. This 
is the Four Corners offering, and this is what it means for us to help those that are in need. Now, as it pertains to Afghanistan, we recognize that because of the breakdown of the infrastructure there, there is no way with confidence that we can guarantee that money collected would get to people there, the church that's there. We can pray for them, though. And the other thing that we can do is to recognize that a lot of refugees will be coming here. Now, for the past uh, six years, we've been supporting a refugee home in Hamtramck that's run by a young man who is committed to serving the Lord and reaching refugees with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he's a part of our Global 100 preparing to serve Christ with his life in Afghanistan. And so part of what we're gonna do is pray for refugees. God has called us to love them and we're gonna collect resources. And our partner, Samaritas, vets, refugees, received from the government, and they place them in homes or network partners like ours. We give them workforce development training. In our case, we prepare them for careers so that they can have sustainable life while they're here, be productive, and if and until an opportunity for them to go back to their home country opens up. And I praise God that we're able to respond with such swiftness because of the partners that we have in advancing the gospel. So today, I'm gonna to ask you to pray about giving a special offering, and whatever we collect, we'll send out immediately this week. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me as well. And as we prepare to close in prayer, uh, this is kind of a four corners offering for the 21st century, so that means you can also give online. Uh, you can go to our website and you'll find details there. But whatever you do, do the best you can and know that on the other side of your obedience, God is gonna change lives and bear witness to his grace and glory. How many believe that Christ is enough? If you don't know Jesus today, I wanna invite you to come to Christ. There'll be people to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would affirm within us your goodness and grace. Help us to find ultimate joy and satisfaction and peace in you. And we do pray for the refugees. We do pray for Afghanistan and Haiti. We pray that you would protect your church, blind those who would come to attack your church or do harm to them. Lord, I pray that you would save, that you would save to the uttermost. We believe that you are powerful enough to even save the Taliban, to even um, save heads of states in this moment, Lord. We pray for you to once again remind the world that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And help us as the church to respond and to show the generosity that we have received. We thank you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people said a big Amen and amen. God bless you guys as you leave. If you're interested in a life group, please stop at one of our Connect desks. And if you're in need of prayer, leaders will be here to pray with you. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. God bless. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.